Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. I was talking with Judson this week, my son, my 10-year-old, about the fact we were listening to something and it was talking about wars. And we were talking about the fact that there are always wars and always have been wars that are taking place. There are these large-scale global wars that take place. There are more specific regional wars kind of between nations, between people that takes place. And then there are civil wars inside of nations and inside of a common group of people. And the issue behind these wars is largely who is in charge. And recently, uh, for instance, in the Sudan, there's a civil war and the battle is between the military. And often this happens, by the way, historically, there is a military leadership and representation of their authority. And then there is the government and whoever is in charge, maybe the president and then those who are the governing authorities. And there is this conflict over whether the military or the government is really in charge. And so what has happened recently, and this has often happened, is the military ends up overthrowing the government and they take charge and often they'll either kill or exile those who are these governing officials or leaders. But the issue behind all of these wars and all of these conflicts is really who is in charge. And this is very much what we're going to see taking place in our passage this morning, beginning in John 3, verse 1. There is this presiding question of who is the authority, who is in charge. Last week, we looked at Jesus cleansing the temple in John chapter 2. And in many ways, what he was doing is he drove out the money collectors and he drove out all of these salesmen of animals of various kinds. Uh, What he was doing in all of that is representing his authority over the temple and over everything that's happening. In fact, he says specifically, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And so he is claiming that this temple... Who the Jew, which the Jews saw as this very overlap of heaven and earth, that this was his father's house. And therefore he had this authority to drive out all of these people and animals. Now we are going to see in John's gospel, there will be three Passovers. And so we're right now in the season leading up to the first Passover, the third Passover that we find in John's gospel is when Palm Sunday is going to take place, what we're celebrating today, the week before Easter. And in many ways, this is exactly what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus is fulfilling all of these messianic prophecies. He's riding in on a donkey's colt. And what is it that they're, they're laying down on the street, the road in, in front of him? What's palm branches? Why palm branches? Well, this is this, this prophecy, this picture of 
Jesus, Yeshua, coming into Jerusalem as king. And these palm branches were laid before a king. And, and this is very much the conflict that will lead to his crucifixion, is his claim to be king and this belief that his followers have, uh, some of them in a short-sighted way, that he really is in charge. And so as we consider our passage today, we're going to ask this question, who has authority? And first, we're going to see a man or an authority who thinks he sees, an authority who thinks he sees. John 2, so John chapter 3 in your Bible begins a new chapter. In John's letter, hate to break it to you, this is not a new chapter. There are no numbers that were in John's letter. So these have all been inserted later. And so it's important to understand that what is happening at the end of John chapter 2 is right uh, in line with what begins in John chapter 3. And so we read in John 2, 23, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about who? Man. For he himself knew what was in what? Man. So that is the, the Greek word anthropos. Now, verse chapter 3 picks up that there was a man. Anthropos. And so Jesus just said he doesn't trust who? man. And he acknowledges while there are these men, these people, anthropos who have trusted in him, he does not trust in them. And now there comes along a man. And not only is he this man, but he's from who? The Pharisees. These are the very people who have this conflict with Jesus. The Pharisees are the strictest law keepers. Not only do they keep the law, they make up their own laws and additions to the laws. And so this is the strictest religious group, the Pharisees. And again, uh, often kind of the source of conflict with Jesus. And he's named Nicodemus. And we know this name from the Bible, but there is extra biblical literature that talks about Nicodemus. There were four men named Nicodemus. This was the most prominent family in Jerusalem. Uh, Nicodemus and his lineage were war heroes. There were these political figures. They were also the wealthiest people. And we see evidence of this wealth in that after Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus purchases um, all, uh, so it's 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And let me just tell you, that was an absolute fortune. And he funds all of this. So we see evidence of his wealth. But he was very much this most highly respected family. Again, this military uh, hero element. He has all of this political prominence and then, uh, by the way, his name means conqueror of the people. So anybody have Nike shoes? Nike shoes, okay. So we've heard that as victory, right? Nike, that's where that comes from, Phil Knight. Uh, Nike is the beginning of Nicodemus's name. So it's, it's conqueror of the people. That's literally what his name 
means, and he is a ruler of the Jews. And this is one of the Sanhedrin. So we have a Supreme Court that make these ultimate judicial decisions. The Sanhedrin represented that for all of the Jews, all of Israel. And so he is one of the Supreme Court justices who have the power. I mean, they are, and, and they are very much in line with Rome, by the way. They, they have to kind of acknowledge that authority, but they, but they make the decisions. And so this man is the alpha of every possible chain. He is at the top of every element. When you consider life in Jerusalem and largely throughout Israel, he is the most religious person. He is the, by the way, Jesus later is going to call him the teacher of Israel. And that was a title that would have been kind of just like chief theologian. So he knows the scripture. He's religiously zealous. He's wealthy. He has this political power. So literally, he is Alpha, he is at the top of all of these chains and he comes, and by the way, very much in line with the authority that Jesus has just uh, kind of pushed against, clearing out the temple. And this man comes to him at night. Now, I've heard sermons in the past about Nick at night <laughs> to kind of give a clever title to this and there are different explanations given to that. Here's what we need to understand. John uses light and dark themes consistently throughout his gospel. And dark, things that happen at night or in the dark, are reflective of people who doubt, who don't believe, or who are blind. And things that happen in the light or in the daytime are people who believe, who trust, and and there is very much who see. And so there is very much this theme. And so the fact that he comes at night is important in understanding his, uh, his context. Uh, he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, Nicodemus uses plural language there. We, who is we? My grandfather used to always say, do you have a mouse in your pocket? Right, who is we? We is, repre- is representing who? The Pharisees, right? He is representative. He also, again, Sanhedrin, but he is representative of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. And they, him representing them, know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And, and here's what he's doing. He is claiming the authority to see who Jesus is. To understand and acknowledge he's a teacher, he's come from God, and there is this this acknowledgement and kind of this authority that he is representing. What we're going to find next is not an authority who thinks he sees, but an authority who truly sees. And this is where it gets interesting because Jesus responds to this claim from Nicodemus to see Jesus and have this understanding of who he is with a seemingly bizarre response. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Doesn't this sound odd, right? But what Jesus is doing is he's questioning his rightful ability to see Jesus 
to understand who he is because the kingdom of God, this operation of God's presence and his power where his will is done, the things of God are not visible to those who are not born again. Now, this word anothen um, is kind of at the core of this discussion. Uh, it's a, an, it can be used as an adverb of time, which would mean born again. And actually, that's what our translations choose. How, do you, how does your Bible translate? Well, you don't know it's anothen, but born again, right? But it also is an adverb of place, which would be born from where? Above. Okay, and that's what's going on. Jesus is talking about place, born from above, and Nicodemus is talking about time, born again. That's why he's confused, and he says, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So obviously... This is impossible, and, and it's silly. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This born of water and the Spirit, the way this is used is singular. So water and the Spirit, being born of water and the Spirit is one birth, and it's the same as being born from where? Above, right? And in this context, this cosmology of of how the Jews saw the world, the water and the spirit, the breath of God, the ruach in Genesis, they come from where? Above, right? And this is necessary, Jesus is saying, to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the water, the birth of the water and the spirit, and the fact that this is something that is going to bring about a new beginning is something that Jesus actually kind of rebukes Nicodemus 4 in verse 10 for not picking up what he's saying. Uh, He says, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, right? So you're the person who knows the law. You know the scriptures. You know all of the theology. Don't you know what I'm talking about? Well, what is it that he's talking about? What is it from the Hebrew scripture standpoint that talks about this water and this spirit and this new beginning? What is something called the new covenant. And we find the new covenant. What is a covenant? If you are married, you're in a covenant, right? This is agreement, uh, this, this relationship. Um, and, and so this covenant, this new covenant between God and people is promised, prophesied in Jeremiah 31. It's also specifically in the language that Jesus is using is coming out of Ezekiel 36, right? That's the backdrop. And Ezekiel 36 talks about this new covenant that is to come in verse 25. I will also sprinkle clean what? Water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new what? Spirit. So water, spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So this is what Jesus is referencing, this water and this spirit and this new beginning with a new heart, not made out of stone. 
and yet made out of flesh. So this is this new covenant that Jesus has been alluding, uh, John has been alluding to, Jesus bringing. So I told you John chapter one basically outlines what is going to happen thematically through the rest of John's gospel. When John chapter one, verse 32, we read, and John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. This is at his baptism. And I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with what? Water told me the one you see the spirit descending and resting on. He is the one who baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. This is this promise of what is going to come with the new covenant. And Jesus as the Messiah is bringing where a baptism, not simply of water. By the way, the wedding. Last week we looked at the wedding or before two weeks ago at Cana. What did I say a wedding was? A covenant, this covenant agreement. And at that wedding, Jesus takes jars made out of what? Stone. What was the law originally written on? Stone, these hearts. And he fills it with these ceremonial, law-keeping, washing vessels. And he fills them with what? Wine. And I, we talked about these connections between wine and the spirit that is to come. And, and this, this connection to blood. What pumps through your heart? Blood. Where's the law? It's law the law is no longer going to be written on these stone tablets. It's going to be written in your hearts, right? And the spirit is going to empower you to actually do it, right? And, and so all of this is, is culminating in, and it's specifically the first sign is telling us the water to wine it's the first sign, it's the only one that rhymes, is telling us what Jesus is coming to bring. He is the bridegroom who's coming to bring this new covenant of the Spirit. And this is where all of this is is in the background. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. Now, what does this express about Nicodemus's reaction but what he was what? He was amazed, right? This was bonkers. This, this was something that, that he didn't have a context for. And Jesus is, is representing this authority. And that's what's at the, the heart of what's happening here. Over Nicodemus. And he says, you, again, the guy in charge, right? The boss's boss's boss. You, don't be amazed that, that I told you, you all, it's plural, you all. So all of these people who you represent, right? All of these really high level religious people need to be what? Born again, right? But born from above as Jesus has been, <laughs> been outlying it. And, and so in response to this amazement that Nicodemus has over what Jesus is saying, we find this verse in verse eight. And we're gonna kind of dive into this and I'm gonna ask you to hang with me. I know this is kind of coming at you fast. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now, 
What's interesting, the wind blows and you what? You hear it and we have you hear it's what? So, now what's interesting is the translation. So Luther translates it this way and, and there's a lot of authority there. He writes, however, in his commentary, the other translation, which he understands, which is these words could, the, the word pneuma, which we tra- are right here is translated as wind. It's 356 times in the New Testament. The word pneuma is translated as what? Spirit. This is the only time any translator ever translates this word as wind. And the word blows is also translated breathes all through the New Testament. And when you hear it sound, that word is also translated as voice. So Luther said, you could say the spirit breathes where it pleases and you hear its voice. Okay, so this is the oddity of, of some of what is happening through this. But, but here's the point of this is that these exact words, the issue is you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. Okay, that's what we need to hone in on. This exact same conversation is going to be picked up in John 8. And Jesus, so John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. So the who? Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. By the way, at the heart of, of this conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, has testified about him, but Jesus is, is testifying in this way. So there's the same thing. He, and they say, your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know what? Where I came from and where I'm going. It's the exact same language here in verse, in verse four. But you don't what? Know where I came from, where I go. It's the, that is the exact same phrase with a group of Pharisees. And this is, this is where I, I, the issue that Jesus is saying is they don't know. They don't see, right? They don't have the authority to know where did he come from? Heaven, right? He came from heaven. And where is he going ultimately? Back to heaven, right? But first he's going to have to go through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And, and this is where all of this comes about. Jesus is the only one who has this right authority, this right perspective. But here's what I want to see. He is also the, and, and this is, I don't, hang with me. He is the only one at this point who is born of the spirit. How was Jesus born? What happened to Mary? Right? So he says, whatever's born of flesh is what? Who's born of flesh? Everybody else. (laughs) Who's born of the spirit? Jesus. Right? And we see this, this replication of this at his baptism of the spirit coming upon him. He is the one who is born of the spirit. He is the one who they don't know. Nicodemus and the Pharisees don't know where he comes from. They don't know where he's going. Right? And he is the only one who has the, the authority to teach. They say, we hear your teaching. That's what Nicodemus is saying. 
We hear the, the, you hear, we hear the sound of your voice, but there's not this, this true comprehension. And, and this is where Jesus is, is displaying and, and stating very clearly his unique perspective. And John's going to play this out on all things in heaven. He's the only one who has that perspective. And on earth, this is what he says in verse 11. Truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. You is Nicodemus and those he represents. If I've told you about earthly things and you what? So what, what is happening with Nicodemus and Jesus? What is he not doing? Believing. <laughs> Or accepting his testimony. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? The whole Greek changes after this verse. Verse 12, it moves from second to third person. And the narrator, so verse 13, we see a shift. And, and scholars believe this is where John, the narrator, begins picking up. And so the end of this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus is in verse 12. So how does this conversation end? With belief and acceptance? No. It ends where it started in darkness. However, we are going to see Nicodemus, Nick, again, and this will play out through John's gospel. This is a a storyline that will continue. But what we find out is, is there is this this representation of Nicodemus and the religious authority, all that he represents in Luke seven twenty nine, and it's tied to baptism. Uh, and when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, so tax collectors, in the view of the Pharisees and the Jewish people, where are they on the chart? The bottom, right? They are the scum of the earth, and they represent the people who Jesus invites into his followers, right? All these, these people who are rejected, who are the lowest of the low, that you don't mess with. They're always the people, right? The, the woman at the well, right? All these people who are rejects, who are outcasts, who are the scum of the earth, the lowest. They're actually the people that Jesus is welcoming, and they're the ones who see, right? All th- they're the ones who see Jesus for who he is, and they, they, they trust in him, they follow him, They acknowledge God's way of righteousness because they have been baptized with who? With John's baptism. This baptism of repentance that John's been saying, where you actually understand that you need to change, that you don't have what it takes, that you need to surrender completely and turn your life and and your whole existence over. Right? They are willing to do this, but since the who? Pharisees. And experts in the law had not been baptized by. Why wouldn't they be baptized by John? Why wouldn't they go through this baptism of repentance? They didn't think they needed it. (laughs) Right? They rejected the plan of God for themselves. Now, I want to bring all this together. There's a lot. So here's what I am saying. Jesus is the one who accomplishes all of these things and those who hear his testimony and his teaching and listen and trust in him 
They are those who ultimately receive this birth from above. They receive this spirit coming at Pentecost. In Acts 2, the fullness of what Jesus is talking about happens when the church, made up of those who trust in Jesus, surrender to his authority, acknowledge their complete need for him. They are baptized with the spirit and they experience all of this. And that's the birth of the church. But, right, out of all of this, there is this necessity of humility. And, and this is where, okay, in Acts, let me, let me just hit these real quick. Acts 2.36, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus. Paul is, or, or uh, they're preaching this to Israel, the very people who crucified Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent, which is what John had been preaching, and be what? Baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come at Pentecost. Now they're preaching this message that Jesus is the true king, the one who you crucified. He is the true king, the Lord of all. He rose from the dead. He showed who he was. Right? He was the rightful king of the universe and you should have listened to him. You should have surrendered to him and followed him, but you didn't, right? You killed him instead. He's the true king. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> that's not good. What do we do? And he says, what? Repent, right? Turn your whole life over to Jesus, surrender to him and receive and be baptized. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is saying, I don't have what it takes. Right? I am going under these waters saying, I am dying. Everything I have, all of the accolades, all of the positions, all of my accomplishments, it's going under the water and dying because it's nothing in the kingdom of God. I'm coming out of that water as a new creation in who? In Christ. Right? And I, I am living for him and I'm living through him. I'm living through his righteousness now. And I'm living through the, the knowledge that I have the security of God's love. And I'm living out the reality that the Spirit of God right, lives in me. And if I have the Spirit, He says, I have everything that I need. And, and, and so my entire life now is oriented around Jesus and His kingship and His authority and what He wants done. That's the kingdom. That's what it means to be in the kingdom, right? Is His will being done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the context where Jesus says in Matthew 18, 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is greatest in the what? The kingdom of heaven. This whole context of, of who can see the kingdom and who can enter the kingdom. This is what Nicodemus and Jesus have been talking about. He called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, what are children? They're humble. They believe. They trust. The opposite of these Pharisees, these religious people of accolades, who, who they just couldn't humble themselves. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't die to themselves. There was too much on the line. 
This one is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this is where we have to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in? Because to enter the kingdom, we can bring nothing with us. That's what it means to enter the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. To enter the kingdom, you bring nothing with you. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And yet when you acknowledge, you have nothing to offer. You, you have nothing but sin, right? There's, there's nothing that you have of righteousness and goodness. But when you acknowledge that and surrender fully to Jesus, what do you receive? Everything, right? That's how it works. And yet we don't humble ourselves. We won't. This is, by the way, how often do we have to take up our cross and die to ourselves? Every day. It never stops. And that's the problem. You know what gets in the way of us and God and, and what God wants for our lives? Us, right? I think it was Spurgeon that said, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps climbing back off the table, right? That's it. And, and it's this, this is, first off, you have to do this. Is what baptism is, is surrender fully to Jesus, right? Die to yourself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? That's the, my life. But then it's ongoing. And, and all of us have to do this. We have to constantly acknowledge, because we begin to get impressed with ourselves again. Right? And, and it's this constant process of, no, I, I surrender, your will be done, right? In my life, and, and you provide your righteousness, not mine. Your spirit leading me, directing me. It's this process that we move through. And, and so I want us to ask ourselves, where, where is it that we need to humble ourselves? You see, Nicodemus would have had these robes on. Represented his position, represented of his title. In order to be baptized in repentance, what would he have to do with those robes? Take them off. What are our robes? Right? Maybe you're here and truthfully, you've been baptized, but it wasn't surrendering to Jesus. Right? It wasn't this birth from above of living with his spirit. And, and trusting in Jesus completely. And, and maybe that's what you need to do, truthfully, is to, to, to do that, right? And that's humiliating. That's, it's dying at one level, but maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe there's something else that just you're just so focused on, so just impressed with that you won't let go. And, and God's like, just drop that, right? Because what does he want to give us? The reason John wrote this letter and so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you might have what? Life. And Jesus says, life and life for the full. That's what he wants for you. We have to take off the road. We have to drop whatever that is and receive everything that he has for you. Acknowledge Jesus and his authority is king over every area of your life. We're going to respond in just a moment. Whatever that is that God calls you to do, to just acknowledge the kingship of Jesus, acknowledge your full surrender to him. I'm going to invite you to do that. I'll be at the prayer room. Denise will be at the prayer room. If you need prayer, you need to talk about anything. We're glad to do that.
I'm just going to ask us just to surrender to Jesus, to his spirit, and lay down anything that he's calling you to today. Father, we thank you that you love us and that your love is such that you don't want us to continue to live with our focus on ourselves, in our sin, hopeless and lost, blind in the dark. You desire to see us free to receive life and life to the full, but that only happens through full surrender to Jesus. We only experience this true freedom that you want through us by full surrender to Jesus. And so Lord, would you help us to do that? to get over ourselves and to get a life, literally a new life from you. The life that you want for us. So spirit, you're the one who works in hearts. You're the one that's in us if we've surrendered to Christ. And so now we ask that you would show us what you're calling us to die to, what you're calling us to surrender. That you would lead us to the steps that you're calling us to take. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.